This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Robert Subukri's name is synonymous with Pan-Africanism in South Africa. He led the anti-pass campaign of 1960, which saw him jailed for many years by the apartheid government, including solitary confinement on Robben Island and then banished to Kimberley. Yet, are his ideals of black consciousness still relevant in our country today? His friend and biographer Benjamin Pogrand certainly thinks so. He has just launched launched a new book, which he commissioned and edited, entitled Robert Mangalise Sabukwe, New Reflections. Benjamin is, of course, a veteran journalist and author and recipient of the Order of Ikimanga Silva, which he received from President Ramaphosa just last year. Benjamin, welcome, and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Uh, Cherise, before you start talking about the book, can I please say what an exceptional pleasure to follow on Reva Foreman <laughs> on your program. And I listened to her, and I'm afraid I can't help telling you about Reva's first visit to Israel those years ago, that wonderful pioneering visit, because she got me to speak. Yeah. And it so happened I was recovering from very major surgery, and I was not strong, but because of Reva, <laughs> I struggled out of bed, and I went to the hotel. I was so weak, I couldn't stand. I had to sit and talk. And it happened to snow in Jerusalem that night. And at the end of the night, I stumbled out into the dark, snowing night to try and find a cab to get home. I did it because it was Reva. And I'm very happy to be here and to add to the many congratulations to her for her award. Thank um, you. That was beautiful, Benji. Uh, Okay, Benjamin, uh, just also maybe before we go on to your new book, I want to say that I've now finished reading one of your earlier books um, on the press and the media yes. and how thoroughly I enjoyed it. And how what's amazing about your books of earlier times is you paint the picture of South Africa so beautifully and so readably, that, and then you can really see how far South Africa has come today. So, which kind of brings us on to Robert Sibukwe and New Reflections. <laughs> Why another book on Robert, Benjamin? Well, I wrote his original biography, which I think is still the standard work, although there's still a lot to be explored about his life. And that appeared in 1990 in England, South Africa, and America. And it's now still appearing, mm. uh, 30 years mm. later, in the third edition, being printed almost every year. And it began to dawn on me, watching it, watching the situation here, there was a growing interest in Subukwe. He'd been airbrushed out of history by the ruling ANC. They had won. He was on the losing side in terms of black politics. And I saw his name emerging more and more. I've seen letters. You kind of used to send me clippings, so I've got them in my files. I have some more. And, um, and I thought the whole situation of South Africa, the corruption, the terrible things happening here, Sabukwe's example is an example of what should be and could be in this country, a leadership which is committed, which is honest, which is total integrity. And that, that was his life. He gave his life for freedom without any hope of reward. So I went to the publishers, Jonathan Ball, and said, let's do a set of essays. And they said, great. And I put it together within a year, and it appeared. And I think the book, I hope, carries forward the Sabukwe story because a, a series of assessments about 18 essays by a whole range of South Africans. Well, um, just to mention some names, there's Barney Pachana, Adam Khabib, Tandeka, Kubula Mbeki, Bobby Gotsal. It's quite a wide range of different voices, and I think that is what you're looking for. Yes, I set out to get a range of people. 
um, without going to necessarily to extremes. And I chose people, some of it logically, like Barney Pityana, who written the overall view of black consciousness, uh, black power, everything like that. Uh, Adam Habib, who's been in the trenches in this country in the Fees Must Fall movement, and he's written a magnificent piece about the need for protest, but the need for civility also in protest. Um, so each one, I thought, and some was just on a quirk, and the best example was Claudel um, von Eck, whom I didn't know. I was given her name, and I was told she was director of the Internal, Internal Auditors Association of South Africa. So I thought, that'll be interesting. I'll, I'll get an accountant. And I, just see what came, I had no idea what might come out. I just said to her, write about Sabukwe, past, present, future, anything you want. And I got this wonderful piece of introspection about a woman who was colored growing up in South Africa. And then it turned out, when I said to her, you know, I'm amazed an accountant writes like this in these sensitive terms. She said she's not an accountant. Her PhD is in leadership training. So I landed up with her. So it was all just came together. Benjamin, I was at the launch of your book in, at Exclusive Books, which was a wonderful event. It was also very interesting and quite dominated by kind of people from the black consciousness movement who felt maybe frustrated. No, I know them. They, these are <laughs> Africanists, and um, they were bad-mannered apart from anything else. Uh, two of them held on to the microphone, and Claudel was, in fact, in charge of the proceedings, but she managed quietly to wrest the microphone from them. But, uh, you know, when, when someone says to you, why is this book not about the PAC? Mm. The only answer you can say is, well, this book is about Robert Mangalisa Subukwe, not about the PAC. Mm. Why is this book not about the land question? Well, it's not about the land question. It's about Robert Subukwe. When I went to Cape Town for the launch there, uh, Africanists also came. And uh, it was very different, the atmosphere. And we talked well. And they came to another lecture of mine at the university. And I kept saying to them, look, I hope you like the book. I'm sure there are things you won't like. There are other things to be told. Go and write your own book. Go and do your research. And this time they listened to me. And hopefully my book will trigger more books, more inquiries. Which is actually what you want. Absolutely. To get people to talk about Mangalisa Sibukwe once again. Absolutely. One of the things that came up at that book launch, which has come up, previously before in, in talks I've heard you give to members of the PAC is around um, his voice, around Sabuque's voice. And why is this question coming up so often? And is there an, an ulterior motive for asking it? There, because it's in the past and people are now looking for more information, uh, quite a few myths have developed. And in my, in my, I wrote the opening chapter to this book as a sort of summary of his life. And I tackled those, what I think are, are crazy, I know them to be crazy statements. One of them, for example, is that he was murdered by the government. They fed him ground glass in his food for years, which is just garbage. And it actually emanates from a story I told in my original biography of something that did happen on the island when on one of my visits to him, I was allowed six visits, the, the security warder asked me to have coffee with him and said, look, they were very worried they'd found some broken glass in one of his meals. They don't know how it got there, but they were terribly worried and scared about this. And we discussed it, and I knew they were taking special precautions. Well, out of that story, which I reported, comes this crazy stuff about murdering him and so on. 
The one about his voice, I keep explaining to people. But why the, are, are there no recordings? No. There's not one no. recording of no. his voice? No, not that I know of. I've tried. The only available possible one was uh, in the Johannesburg Magistrates Court in 1960 because he went on appeal, so the old rubber, uh, sorry, plastic bands they used to use for recording were transcribed. I don't think those exist after all these years. I try to find them. But his voice, you know, and what I keep trying to explain to people, in that era, tape recorders were not very common, and you didn't use them. I didn't use one. Later on, when there were tape recorders, he was banned. I would go and see him in Kimberley. As I drove into the town or flew in, a security police car was behind me. And all the day I spent with him until he had to go back home at the end of the day because he was house arrested, there was security police 20 feet away from us. If I tried to take a note or a, a recording, they could have jumped us. If I'd done it secretly, could have jumped me in my hotel and he would have faced the charge of breaking his ban. So I never did it. It was as simple as that. And people keep going on saying this is a silence and conspiracy. It's, it's nonsense. So the reason people are asking it because they think there is an ulterior... Yes, uh, it's a whole suspicion. It's part of the re revolutionary struggle. People like this, they fool the conspiracies. They, don't, they, they have difficulty understanding there's sometimes straightforward reasons for something happening mm. or not happening. Benjamin... Um, Robert Sabuquez, and we've spoken about this before when his wife Veronica passed away. Um, there's still such a silence around her, uh, around honoring him. Do you think your book will change this? Do you think people are more ready to 25 years later? I believe so. Um, the point is the uh, order of Ikamanga that I was given I was a friend of Nelson Mandela's. I visited him, him in prison. I knew him for 55 years, and Winnie for that matter. Um, but I, my main link is with Sabukwe, and I live in Israel. And despite all that, I was given the order of Ikamanga. So I think the ANC people are well aware of this, and in honoring me, I think they were also stretching out a hand to Sabukwe. Um, his stature, his place in South African history is gradually becoming known because younger people looking at the situation in this country are saying, this is what I'm learning while I, I've been here a month already and I come here, this is my fourth visit in a year and I listen carefully. Young people are saying, we don't want to put up with this anymore. We want houses, we want education, we want everything decent that we were promised and that is our due anyway. And I think in doing so, they're looking around and they see this incredible person who sacrificed his life for his people and had an, inte an integrity and an honesty which is very rare anywhere in the world. Maybe we can talk about black consciousness because obviously he's, he was the founder of the PAC, is that correct? Yes. And the PAC, with his passing and him being banned has not really performed no well. the PAC but remember this is a, a, continu a continuum in South Africa he didn't start at black power or black consciousness mm. that went back to the 1940s to the ANC Youth League people like AM, APM Da and uh, Mandela was part of it and then the P Africanists in the 60s carried it forward a bit more and then Steve Biko came after them so it's been a whole 
years-long development in South Africa, but he certainly was one of the great articulators of black consciousness. And, you know, all the time it, it resonates with me and always has because I'm a Jew, because of Pinska, because of 1882. And Pinska said auto-emancipation. And what it meant was a time of terrible oppression of Jews in Russia under the Tsars. And what Pinsker was saying, have regard for yourself, and then the world will have regard for you. And that was that's what Riva was referring to earlier. That is Zionism. It's Jewish self-determination. It's freedom. And that's what black consciousness is. There's a total link between that. It's a desire of people to be free. And before you can be free, you're going to look people in the eye and say, I am who I am, I demand respect. So that black consciousness is alive here in South Africa. Do you see it morphing? Well, well certainly not into Zionism. There are worries about it, I see. I think uh, I, I see now and again uh, Sabuque's message is being distorted, and occasionally when I see it, I write a letter to the editor for publication. Uh, like, for example, uh, they talk about Af- uh, Sabuque's slogan, statement, mantra, uh, Africa for the Africans, and people take that Africa for the Africans for black people. And I say, uh-uh. What he said was Africa for Africans. Who is an African? An African is anybody, not color, who accepts Africa as his home, is emotionally attached to Africa, and accepts an, an African majority. That is an African. He used to address me as an African, yeah, and that's all there is to it. So people distort that. But uh, if they stick to what Sabukwe said and his predecessors and successors, Steve Beaker, they all spoke in the same terms. There wasn't the the ugliness of colour, which I'm hearing in South Africa today among some people. Benjamin, we know about that response to your book because it was extremely vocal. What other responses have you had? Well, so far, pretty good. Um, I li- you know, I live a long way away, so I can't always be sure. And I've been on holiday most of my trip here now. But uh, people I meet like the book. I had lunch yesterday with a friend who's reading it slowly and loving it. To me, by the way, I put at the end, the last chapter, a chapter by his granddaughter, Otwa Sabukwe, and I think she's going to burnish the Sabukwe name. She's, at the moment, doing a degree at Wellesley College in the States. She is wonderful. And her chapter, where she discovered, she never met him, but as a teenager, she discovered her grandfather. I find that such a wonderful message of hope and belief in the future and commitment to the future. Benjamin, I know that you are writing your next book. Sadly, there, I'm, not, I'm still hunting a publisher. That book mainly is another one of my um, beliefs. The late John Rees, who was General Secretary of the Council of Churches before Bishop Tutu, and John was a very good friend of mine, and we did a lot of work together. And he was found guilty of stealing a quarter million dollars of aid monies. And I knew John had had not stolen. He had spent the money in ways he could never admit to, because it would, the, the government would have destroyed the Council of Churches. I've been given information about how he was set up by the security police. Sure. And that's the book I'm trying to write. Wow. Benjamin, thank you so much for coming in. Before you go, because we do have one minute left, Israel, you, uh, democracy is good for countries and elections are proof of good democracy. Is Israel not overdoing it a bit? <laughs> That's very well put. Well, you're, look, 
I'm totally against Netanyahu. I think he has dragged us down. If you just look this week, his appointment as uh, an attempted appointment hasn't been confirmed yet, <coughs> sorry, of a new minister of agriculture, David Bittan. Uh, last year, the police recommended 12 serious charges of fraud and bribery. How do you appoint a man like that to your cabinet? You know, there's something wrong. When you have another minister in your cabinet, Litzman, the minister of health, who's also facing charges. Another minister at least had the grace last year when he was indicted to step out of the cabinet. And, of course, the prime minister himself. All this is clear to everybody is simply a device to prevent himself landing in court. Although he kept saying there's nothing to show, there's nothing, it's all rubbish, it's a hoax. I want to go to court. When the moment comes, and remember the, the attorney general who's bringing the charges was his appointment, was his cabinet secretary. The story about a left-wing plot and conspiracy is absolute nonsense and is degrading our society. It's a terrible example to everyone of dishonesty right at the top. So you're back to elections? Another election. <laughs> Another election, unfortunately. And I'm hoping that, in fact, I was gladly could voted uh, Netanyahu again because it'll mean they'll lose even more, I believe, in the next election. Benjamin, do you know what I love having a, uh, about having you as a guest is the broad range of topics that we can cover <laughs> on a show Ooh, and pr- you providing insight into all of them. Thank so you. it's always lovely to have you. It's always lovely to see you. Thank, Thank you so you. much for being my guest.